Plato's theory of forms. Everything we sense is an illusion. Everything we sense is deception. Sounds a bit like The Matrix or The Truman Show, but it's actually Plato, almost two and a half millennia ago. So does reality exist? And if it does, what is it? Number one, the allegory of the cave. Plato attempts to explain reality by giving us an allegory, a story meant to reveal deeper truths. The story is presented in book four of his celebrated Republic as a dialogue between Glaucon, who's Plato's older brother, and Socrates, Plato's own teacher. Imagine a group of prisoners who have spent their whole entire lives in a cave, chained, facing a wall. They cannot, nor were they ever able to, look around the cave at each other or themselves. Stiff and inflexible, the whole existence is made up of sitting down, watching shadows dancing on a wall in front of them. There are shadows of people, of household objects, of trees, and so on. These shadows are thrown on the wall by a fire behind them which they have never seen, and in front of which cut-out images are paraded. To the prisoners, the shadows are all that there is. They constitute the totality of their reality. Now imagine one of them breaks free from the shackles, unbound he stretches his stiffened limbs for the first time, turning his head around for the first time. Blinded by a flame, he sees for the first time. As his eyes adjust, he makes his way through the cave, eventually making towards the entrance where he gets to see the rest of reality. This philosopher sees real people and trees and birds and things under blazing sun. The freed prisoner sees the outside world as superior to what he's experienced in the cave. Excited, he wants to share the news, so he returns to the cave to tell his confined companions. However, the others think him mad, and in the comfort of their safe zone, the only zone that they know, if they were able to, they would try and kill anyone trying to drag them out and into the light. Being an allegory, Plato through Socrates, uses the different characters and objects in the allegory as metaphorical devices. The cave represents the physical world, that is, the world that we know. It is a weaker world that hosts the senses. It is also not a place where people can obtain knowledge of true reality. The prisoners are people untutored in philosophy, bound to a worldly, temporal, and perishable existence, a mere imitation of true reality. The shadows are the temporal objects known through the senses. The freed prisoner is the philosopher, seeking true knowledge outside the cave of enslavement. Number two, the theory of forms. Plato's theory of forms, or theory of ideas, is his view that the physical world is not as real or as true 
as timeless absolute ideas. The physical realm of things, the one we experience through our senses, is only a shadow or image of the true reality of the realm of forms. These forms or ideas are concepts that are perfect, abstract, unchanging, non-physical and universal. If we want to truly understand reality, we have to understand the forms. Through this, we gain knowledge. Understanding happens when we grasp the world of forms with our minds. Let's take homemade biscuits or cookies as an example. Our favorite cook starts with the idea of making biscuits. Those biscuits in our head are the perfect version of the biscuits. They have the right texture, the right tastes, the smell, the consistency, the shape, and so on. They are, after all, the idea or form of a biscuit. And then, our favorite cook prepares the dough, cuts the cookies, and bakes them. And we end up with biscuits that we can perceive through our senses. While they are alike, on close inspection, we notice that no two biscuits are actually identical. Some may be slightly more toasted, others a bit more cracked, still others more or less deflated. They are variations or copies of the perfect ideal formal biscuits in our head. Similarly, the ideal triangle is the form of a triangle. Only by grasping the idea of what a triangle should look like, that is, a geometric shape having three sides, can we then see a drawing of a triangle on a chalkboard and realize and recognize it as being an image of a triangle. The triangle as it is on the chalkboard is an imperfect, impermanent copy of the ideal triangle in our heads. The forms of justice, goodness, equality, truth and beauty are, according to Plato, true aspatial reality existing as ideas but not in space. The form of the good, in particular, is the most important. It is the one form that allows us to understand everything else, providing knowledge and truth. Plato's theory of forms sheds light on his ideas about the soul. First of all, he claims that the body and the soul are distinct. First to exist is the soul, or psyche, which is eternal and immortal, and survives beyond the death of the body. It is that which decides how we behave. The body, on the other hand, is perishable. In fact, he considers the body the prison of the soul, trapping what is permanent in a cage of impermanence. In the dialogue with Glaucon and Adeimantus, Socrates in Plato's Republic is trying to determine whether the soul consists of one or several parts. If it consists of one part, then it is difficult to explain how we sometimes want contradictory things. For instance, we may be tempted to take something which isn't ours and at the same time feel reluctant to take it. The theory of non-contradiction states that contradicting propositions 
for example, I want it and I don't want it, are mutually exclusive. They cannot be true in the same sense at the same time. Following this line of thought, therefore, a soul that consists of only one part cannot concurrently hold this contradiction, which leaves us with a soul made of multiple parts, with Socrates arguing that there are three such distinct parts. Number three, the tripartite soul. Plato argues that there are three parts of the soul, the first being the logical or rational part, the second being the spirited part, and the third being the appetitive part. From one person to the next, these three parts are in different balance. These differences in balance make us who we are, being responsible for why we act the way we act. To describe how these three parts work together as one soul, Plato uses the allegory of the chariot in his Phaedrus. Imagine a charioteer driving a chariot pulled by two horses with very different characters. One of the horses, a high-spirited white horse, stands for the spirited or lively part of the soul and embodies emotion, passion and hot-bloodedness. The spirited part loves being challenged and is angered by injustice and cruelty. While impulsive, it is rationally and morally impulsive, keen on the positive part of passionate nature, for example, rational indignation. The other, a black horse on the left, stands for the appetitive part of the soul, seeking irrational passions and appetites. From it stems our drive for pleasure, security and comfort. It drives our libido and makes us seek food, safety and, most notably, money. The charioteer represents the logical or rational part, judging what is best and true for us. This part of our psyche thinks, analyzes, looks ahead, rationally weighs options and tries to guide the horses and the chariot. It is the part that should be in charge, which decides when and which one of the horses should take rein. Both charioteer and horses need each other. A charioteer without horses cannot move, and horses without a charioteer will run wild. The rational part of our soul needs the appetitive and spirited parts to drive it, while the latter two need the rational part for guidance and to make good decisions. A balance between the three helps us live a morally fulfilled life. Number three. Number four. Plato's moral philosophy. As we've seen, every soul is not the same with different balances in the tripartite soul giving us different behaviors. However, if we are to become the best persons we can be, we need to look at how to become virtuous. In the Republic, Plato identifies four cardinal virtues. Wisdom, 
temperance, courage, and justice. In the Protagoras, he also identifies a fifth, piety. The cardinal virtues reflect the nature of the soul. It is by pursuing these that we can hope to become the best we can possibly be. Number five, the state as man writ large. Plato uses the idea of the tripartite soul in his political philosophy to explain his perspective of what the ideal city-state should look like, seeing in the latter a sort of magnified version of the individual. He draws parallels between the three parts of the psyche and the three parts he thinks the ideal state should have, with each of these being made of a certain type of people. What he calls men of reason should be the ones who rule, the soldiers and guardians of the city-state, also called auxiliaries, should be men of courage, while the men of appetite are the artisans, workers skilled in a trade such as craftsmen or farmers. As with the soul, the city-state's version of courage and appetite should be governed by reason whom he identifies as the philosopher king. According to Plato, philosophers make the best rulers because they possess a devotion to wisdom as well as possessing intelligence, reliability and a willingness to live a simple life. Prizing reason and wisdom, the philosopher king is able to understand true goodness and justice in a way that other people cannot. Thanks for listening.